Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Glad to have you along with us. And we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental CoversMe.com. And very pleased to have in the studio today to uh, well, celebrate uh, Canada Day and the 4th of July all at once as uh, we have the, uh, the voice of many uh, national anthems in studio today, Dan Kosas. Dan, how are you? I'm fine, and it's very nice to be here, Ken. Well, it is uh, great to have you with us. And uh, I say many anthems. You, you do a terrific job. And I first came to know you, Dan. Uh, first time I think I ever heard you was at a Nashua Pride baseball game. And you also did anthems for a number of years, along with our uh, producer and general manager, Catherine Martinez, uh, prior to Manchester Monarchs games. Did that for a long time. Uh, Monarchs games, I've been doing the national anthem and the Canadian anthem yeah. for about, two, well, it went back to about 2004, I guess, 2005. Yeah. And, and uh, really miss being on the on the ice and uh, doing the anthems there. It's a shame that the team has left. It, it is. It, it <laughs> truly is. And uh, so many people, uh, you know, I think I, I get it almost every day, you know, it's is hockey ever coming back to Manchester and, uh, you know, how much they miss it. And a lot of people really miss the Monarchs, that's for sure. But at any rate, we will hope someday to get uh, professional hockey back in the Queen City because you know, we have a beautiful facility downtown in the SNHU arena and uh, love to get pro hockey back uh, here in the Granite State for sure. And I think with the fact that it's been away for a while now, it's been gone for a few years, that uh, I think there would be a resurgence of, of interest uh, in a team. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you think about the New Hampshire and, and the people, how many people love hockey here, yep. that the attendance was going down so far. I remember the last couple of years, there's just maybe four or 500 people, some of those games. Yep. It's pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, and that uh, you know is not sustainable. You can't uh, run a professional hockey team with that kind of an attendance in a, in a beautiful building like that. So, but I, I think now uh, you know sometimes uh, people get spoiled and uh, don't realize what a, a great thing they have and and don't come out. Uh, but uh, I think if it came back, it would be successful again. I mean, you'll remember the early years of the Monarchs when. It was very difficult to get a ticket. Yeah, season ticket holders. Yeah, yeah, lots of season ticket holders, sellouts most nights, and it was uh, just a, a great, great experience. But uh, the fact of the matter is the attendance did deteriorate over the years, and uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, ultimately uh, led to the demise of the franchise. But at any rate, we're not here to, uh, to cry in our beer today. We're here to hear you sing and, and talk about a little bit of your musical background. And uh, you, you have a, a quite a background, and you've done the national anthem, uh, both the American anthem and the Canadian anthem, in so many places over the years. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've been able to sing at the Finna Monarchs, obviously, and then I, I sang at the TD Garden, uh, Fenway Park, uh, the Prudential Center in Newark. Uh, my alma mater, Seton Hall University basketball games. 
and also with the uh, the racetrack up in Loudon. Yeah, I was up there one one time. So yeah, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, very fortunate. You, you've sung the national anthem in many places, as has uh, our producer and general manager, Cat. And uh, that's when I first came to know her as well through her uh, national anthem singing uh, prior to Monarchs games. So if you weren't doing it, chances are she was. <laughs> in in most cases, except when they brought in the Londonderry High School band. Band, terrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah they they played it. Uh, they had them in there once a year, and uh, you know to see. You know, uh, you know, they had a couple of hundred musicians in that band, all on the ice, all on thin ice uh, during uh, the, uh, you know, before the game and then during uh, one of the intermissions as well. So yeah, that was always a spectacle. I, re- I remember that music director must be pretty amazing because they have it just that the, the entire rink was covered with kids with instruments. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. So, so when did your interest in, in music begin, Dan? When I was about four years old. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> it, was, it was really interesting because I remember watching television, Gene Autry, and he had a black cowboy outfit, and my mother and father bought me a black cowboy outfit, and I would go on the corner with a guitar. It was a fake guitar. It didn't play anything, and I would just rattle around in a street corner, and there was a teacher there named, named Mrs. Denzel, and she would come out and give me chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> and and then uh, I would I would sing it. Uh, I went to a Catholic school and I would sing at the services once in a while, and and then uh, I played little league baseball, and they would have a minstrel show every year, and I would sing. I can remember uh, one of the songs I sang was "Goody Goody," which was a Frankie oh, yeah. Lyman song, yeah, yeah. and then another one was "Rock and Roll Is Here to Stay." With uh, Danny and the Juniors had that hit, but I was about, I guess, nine or ten years old. So, but that was before I learned anything about classical or art music. And and that's uh, <clears throat> an area of expertise that you have that is, uh, in in my mind, uh, second to none. I mean, you're a, a great uh, classical music fan, and uh, also uh, opera. You, you love the opera. Yeah, I started, started studying voice uh, kind of late. I was 25 years old, and I had a wonderful teacher named Walter Blazer, whose daughter was a big star on Broadway, Judith Blazer. And uh, I got interested, interested in listening to the uh, Saturday opera broadcast from the Met, and that's yeah. where I got a lot of my uh, background from. I really got caught up in it. And uh, in fact, I even taught an elder hostel class for 12 years at Colby Sawyer College. Really, yeah. Introduction yeah. to opera, yeah, I did that for 12 years and stayed in contact with a lot of those people. A lot of them had never uh, attended an opera or anything. It was, it was really an introduction for them also. So it, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I would, I would venture to say <laughs> that, that most people have not attended an opera. Most people probably haven't. No. I mean, it, 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 I, I have, by the way. I actually have. I, I saw an opera in Boston once, and I would love someday to see an opera at the Metropolitan Opera House uh, in New York. I think that would be quite an experience. Yeah. The first time I went to the Met was uh, when the chandeliers go up at the beginning of the opera. It's really quite a striking attraction. And uh, the first opera I saw, I think, was La Boheme, which is my favorite and this was uh, years ago, but uh, one of the things I always told my students in the elder hostel classes is it's uh, 
let them say, well, you know, I don't understand it. And I said, well, it's in another language, so it's going to be difficult to understand. But uh, to read a libretto, uh, you know, get, get a recording, listen to the recording, and get yourself uh, acclimated to the opera before you go, and then uh, it's really quite an experience. That's your best advice. <clears throat> Absolutely. Listen to it a few times before yeah, you attend. Before you yeah, I, I think that's the same true, <coughs> same as well with uh, uh, Broadway shows. You know, if you know the score uh, going in, I think it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, My, I, when I was teaching it, uh, I taught at Kearsarge Regional Middle School for a number of years, twenty-three years, and I would uh, organize a trip to uh, Boston every year and. Uh, the students would be, uh, I would spend time before I took them there to explain the, the, the story and we listened to the recordings of it. And then uh, it was quite experience. One year we had, uh, I guess we had three or four busloads. We had about 230 people, including chaperones, because they had made sure I had enough parents to go there. And uh, then what we saw, Les Mis one year, Phantom of the Opera, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, Titanic. Sound of Music, and uh, it was an experience. A lot of these kids would never get a chance true. to see something like that. You know, Very true. In Bradford and Warner and Sutton, and uh, yeah. it was nice. Well, you <laughs> exposed them to the arts, and that that's a terrific thing. And uh, you're right. Uh, in, in most cases, they probably would not have been able to go uh, unless you had uh, organized that. Uh, Dan was a teacher for many, many years. How long, Dan? Um... 43 years. 43 years. Yeah. And you retired when? 2018. Okay, so you've been retired now for four or five years. Five years. Five now. years. Exactly five five years. years. And you're coming up on a, on a big anniversary, too. Yeah, my wedding anniversary. My wife and I will be married 54 years on thir- this coming Thursday. Wow. June that, 29th. That is something. Dan Kosas is with us. The, the master of the national anthem, whether it be uh, American or Canadian, maybe some other foreign languages. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dan is here, and a little bit later on in the program, we will hear Dan sing live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you along with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us, and uh, we will have more here on Kale & Company on WKXL. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Dan Kosas is with us, and... Uh, Dan, you're probably familiar with Dan, who sang the National Anthem many, many times prior to Manchester Monarchs games. He's uh, recently uh, sang at a a Fisher Cats game and has done that on a number of occasions as well. Uh, And Dan also uh, performs quite frequently locally at uh, weddings and and funerals. I'm a cantor at uh, Christ the King Parish. I've been there for about 20 years now, so... Really enjoy doing that too. I canter every uh, the second Saturday of every month. So Dan has uh, has gotten a lot of assignments uh, over the years, and and one of the things that uh, that really stands out when I think of Dan Kosas, uh, I think what he did for so many of his students uh, over the years in his forty three years 
of teaching, which is remarkable uh, in itself right there. And so many things that he exposed his students to. But one of the things that stands out to me are the letters and cards and, and posters, for example, that that your students uh, sent to the military, uh, veterans and uh, and some military in service. Uh, tell us about how that that began. Well, it started out. Um, I had a uh, my best friend. His name is Daniel O'Leary, who taught at uh, Kearsarge and also at Trinity High School. Who's a Vietnam veteran. And um, on Veterans Day one year, I said, I'm going to call him up and thank him for his service. So I, I called him up, and he was really appreciative of it. And uh, then I, my father-in-law was a World War II vet. He was on a tail gunner on a B-17 during the Second World War. And then I had another friend uh, who was also a, uh, a uh, he won a number of medals during the Second World War for some of the things that he had done. And I called him up, and I said, gee, wouldn't it be nice if... Uh, if I could get my students to understand what these men had done in their lives for our country. And uh, I had them start, the, I got the idea that I had them start writing letters to veterans. And the first year, I had my students at Kearsarge, my English class, everyone had to write five letters. And I carried that through at Kearsarge and then on to uh, when I taught at St. Joseph Junior High School in Manchester. And it was really quite an experience because a lot of the students didn't know how to write a letter. Yeah. They didn't know the five parts of a letter. They didn't know how to address an envelope. Um, one of the funny things, the funny things was, uh, I told them they all had to bring in their own stamps. <laughs> and one of my students brought in Christmas seals. He thought he could mail the, <laughs> he thought he could mail the letters using Christmas seals. So uh, that was uh, quite an experience. But uh, the thing was, we got a lot of feedback from veterans, and they started coming, uh, asking if they could come to the school and talk to the kids. So uh, we had, uh, on one occasion at Kearsarge, um, they came in with their World War II uniforms on, some of them, and uh, Vietnam veterans, and they came into the school. They marched from the uh, entrance of the building into the cafeteria, and then they all sat at a separate table, and we had kind of a round-robin thing where Students went to where there were World War II veterans, Korean veterans, Vietnam veterans, and it was a pretty good experience for them. Very nice. Oh, it had to be. It had to be to to meet uh, the the veterans and and that sort of thing. It, it was uh, just a probably a, a life altering experience for many of them. And and uh, you know you said uh, earlier just learning to to write a letter. Uh, you know, I, and I don't know how many people write letters these days. It's it's kind of a forgotten art, I think. But oh. uh, unfortunately, uh, but uh, you you taught them how to do it, and uh, it's just a remarkable thing. And I, I bet they still look back on those days oh. when they were contacted by the the veterans that they they wrote to, and some who actually came into the classroom as well. Well, what's really nice was a lot of them got letters back, yeah. thank you notes from the veterans, and uh, they, they'd be waiting every day when, when the mail would come, did I get a letter back today, did I get a letter back today? But the, the thing that was really interesting was I said to them, well, now let's talk about this for a second. Uh, what would you rather get, a text or an email or a letter? from somebody in the mail, and they all, they all said they'd rather get a letter in the mail. It was just something that they weren't experiencing, and it was really nice to see somebody taking the time to write a letter back to them. So. 
Yeah, uh, and that, uh, it, you know, and, and it's unfortunate these days that uh, I, I would have to think that very few letters are written. Plenty of emails, but very few letters, letters you know, and, and composed uh, the way that they should be. And uh, you talk about the five parts of a letter. What, what, what are the five parts of a letter? The five part, the heading. The heading, yeah. The greeting. Yeah. The body, the salutation, and the signature at the end. There you go. So. Yeah. I, I, I've never heard that before, to <laughs> tell you the truth. I, I've written many letters. In fact, the, the, the letter that I, I've talked about this on the air a, a number of times over the years, but uh, there was a, a day in September. September, I'll never forget the date, the year, the circumstances. But it was September 16th, 1965. My mother, I, I had an afternoon off from school there having a teacher's workshop or something like that in, in Melrose, Mass., where I grew up. And my mother said, you can either, uh, this afternoon I want to take either to see uh, the Red Sox play the Indians or to see the movie The Sound of Music because it had just come out. Mm. And everybody was talking about it. You needed reserved seats for it because there was only one theater. I grew up about 10 miles north of Boston. But there were no, you know, cineplexes though mm. in, in those days. You had to go to Boston. And it was playing at the Gary Theater uh, in Boston, The Sound of Music. And because it was a matinee, you could, there were some tickets available. But they were hard to come by at night. Or the Red Sox, who were playing the Indians that day. And uh, I'd been to any number of Red Sox games that season. It was 1965. Uh, you know, it was like a buck to get into the bleachers. And, uh, you know, tickets were very accessible back uh, in those days. At any rate, I picked The Sound of Music to go hmm. see The Sound of Music because I had been to a lot of Red Sox games that year. And they were, you know, they weren't going anywhere. It was, uh, you know, mid-September, and uh, the season was winding down, and they were finishing 8th or ninth, wherever they finished that year in the standings because they were also Rams for so many years. So anyway, we get out after the sound of music, which was great. We got into my mother's car, turned on the radio, and found out that Dave Moorhead of the Red Sox had pitched a no-hitter. No ah. <laughs> So I, I, I oh, my heart sank. I said, I could have seen a no-hitter today at Fenway Park. And it was a Thursday afternoon. It was Nun's Day at Fenway. So, uh, and that, th those are about... appropriate with the sound of music. Uh, right, right, exactly. <laughs> and those were probably about the only people that were there. The attendance was under 1,000 that day oh my God. At, at Fenway Park. And Dave Moore had pitched the no-hitter. So I said, I got to do something about this because I just felt so empty that I wasn't that I didn't get to witness it and uh, Vic Davalio was the, the last out mm. bouncing back to Moorhead anyway uh, so uh, before we got home after uh, we rode back from Boston I had my mother stop at uh, a Wellwood store which is kind of like a Grant's in you know, mm. in, you know Woolworth's in the day and had to get a we picked out a congratulations card for Dave Moorhead and I brought it into class the next day and had, uh, you know, all my friends in school sign the card and oh. send it to Dave Moorhead and care of the Red Sox. And this, I sent it September 17th, I can tell you exactly, 1965. And it, I, it made me feel good just to send it, just to send it. And then come, I think it was like January, late January, early February 
of the next year, 66, an envelope arrives at our house in Melrose, and it had logos of all the major league teams uh, around the envelope. And it was handwritten, addressed to me, and it was from Dave Moorhead saying that, you know, he received, you know, lots of, you know, uh, telegrams and letters from friends of his around the country, but nothing meant more than, uh, you know, a a card from a fifth grade class Mm. in Melrose. And he wrote, like, it was a two-page letter that he wrote and sent uh, a postcard, an autographed postcard of him. It was just amazing. Wow. So that that was really a thrill for me as uh, an 11-year-old kid. <laughs> it really was to get an, a, a letter from a, you know, a professional baseball, baseball player. player. Yeah. So if I went to the game, I probably wouldn't have done that. No. You know, but it was really a thrill. I still have it. I still have it somewhere in my in my archives, which certainly aren't as well-preserved as yours, Dan Kosas, that's for sure. But uh, it was a thrill. So see, you know, write a letter. You never know what you might get. That's right. Yeah. But just the thrill of writing to somebody yeah. is something. I have to make a correction real quick. Yeah. Okay. I've, I didn't I didn't mention the complimentary closing. Oh, it's oh, salutation. Oh, I forgot yes. one of the five parts. So, what, 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 how do you how do you usually sign off when you do a letter? Cordially, sincerely. I usually say warm regards. Warm, I like that. I like that. Warm, warm, regard. warm regards. Yeah. And to friends, I'll say uh, alter ipse amicus in Latin, which means a friend is a second self. Alter and ipse he, amicus. You texted that to me recently. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's true. Dan Kosas is with us. We will take a break, and uh, coming up uh, just in a few minutes, Dan, whose uh, voice is all set to go, is going to uh, honor us with uh, the Canadian National Anthem and the United States uh, National Anthem as well. We'll take a break. Kale & Company continues here on WKXL, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Dan Kosas is with us in the house. We're going to hear a couple of uh, outstanding national anthems uh, coming up in the not-too-distant future from Dan. Just uh, getting his pipes ready on uh, early in the morning. I know Dan has uh, sung in the morning uh, before. But uh, very, very rarely this early. Never before 10 o'clock. Never before 10. All right. Funerals. (laughs) (laughs) So at any rate, Dan is going to sing for us uh, here today. Uh, Do you have anything upcoming uh, that the public uh, can attend? Next, I I don't have anything coming up until July 8th. I have my regular uh, cantering. It's Christ the King. And then... uh, couple of things coming up in August, but I never know when I'm going to get yep. called in for a wedding or a funeral or something. So, But you, you've also had, and, and we touched on it earlier, uh, an opportunity to sing uh, at your alma mater, Seton Hall University in, in New Jersey, at the Prudential Center. And uh, folks, that's a big deal. I mean, Dan is singing there in, in front of like fifteen or 16,000 people for Seton Hall basketball games, and you've done it uh, for the men and women. Yes, I've also sung. They have Walsh Auditorium, which is on campus, and that's where the women play. Uh-huh. And I've sung a couple of times there, too, which is very nice. 
Only holds 2,500, though. Yeah. but it's the, small. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot of people, though. Yeah. And uh, the Prudential Center uh, in uh, Newark, New Jersey, seats about 16,000, 17,000. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, and it's, it's got to be a thrill to do that, especially for your alma mater. Yeah, you get a nice reception of people come up to you afterwards and uh, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll say how much they enjoy the performance, which you know, is a pretty, pretty big thrill for me. Especially at my age, <laughs> 76. Oh, you're still a young man, Dan. Still a young man. And, uh, you know, I heard you, uh, you know, last week or 10 days ago at, uh, at Delta Dental Stadium, and uh, you sounded uh, better than ever. You're like a fine wine, Dan Kosas. <laughs> uh, getting better with age. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody could say the same about me, but I can say it about you, that uh, you, are, you are terrific, sound great. And uh, you were terrific that night. Uh, in fact, uh, it was before uh, the first game of a doubleheader. And unfortunately, because it was just, you know, rescheduled the, the night before uh, because of a rainout, uh, there, there weren't that many people in the stands. So I, I, th- I think, and I know, I believe the Fisher Cats, I did this once at a doubleheader I attended, and uh, they did the national anthem before the second game instead of the first. And uh, I thought they might do it at that point, uh, you know, when you were there last week or 10 days ago. Uh, but, uh, but they didn't. Uh, they did it before the first game. Yeah, they had, they had, they had a program going on. I think uh, I can remember there was a group of Irish step dancers. Right. Kids, they were wonderful. Right. Between yeah. games, yeah. Between games. It was really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, but uh, so many people missed the anthem though because uh, they did it at a time when there were just a handful of people in uh, in the stands. But mm. and they missed it. They missed out on yeah. Dan Kosas. <laughs> and I'll bet Dan, if they asked you, uh, you would have sung it before both games. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. I think they should have done that. Really. Uh, and, or or maybe sing the Canadian national anthem. <laughs> I always think they should sing the Canadian national anthem at uh, Delta Dental Stadium. Because they're affiliated with the Toronto Blue Jays, Blue Jays right. right? See, and I, 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 happen to love the Canadian national anthem. I, I really do, yeah. and you, you do it so well. I, I like it because I like the, uh, the lyrics. Yeah, there's no bombs bursting in air. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for sure. Dan Kosas is with us, and 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 Dan, you've we just talked uh, during the commercial break. Uh, about you know, one of your uh, one of the letters you wrote uh, to Doug Flutie, uh, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, former USFL and uh, NFL player, Doug Flutie uh, won the Heisman Trophy playing at Boston College, and 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 tell us about that one. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, they had a picture of Doug Flutie in the Boston Globe, so I I took and I mailed it to him in care of uh, Boston College, and it wasn't for a year later I got. A envelope back in the mail, and he had uh, signed it for me, and also sent me a picture of uh, him when he was playing for the New Jersey Generals. So I have both of those, and pretty interesting to think that you get something back a year later. Yeah, well, it was almost like my my letter to Dave Moorhead. In fact, I never expected anything. I really didn't, and I, not that I had forgotten about it, but you know, it it just the. The letter from him came just out of the blue, mm. you know, like I said, late January, early February of the next year or so, you know, four or five months uh, after I had sent it. Uh, but yours was a year from uh, from Doug Flutie. And so, so some of the other people, Dan, that you have corresponded with uh, over the years. Yeah, Al Orator. 
oh, the who Olympian, was the yeah. Olympian who was the only uh, only person to win his event four consecutive Olympics. And I met a, a student from Concord High School the other day. I was on my bicycle and had a conversation with him, and he said that he was a uh, discus thrower. So I said, gee, I said, you know who Al Orator is? And he said, no, he had no idea. So what I did was I went home that night, and I made a copy of the letter I got from Al Orator because he had written to me about the Olympics. And I also uh, got something off the Internet, and I uh, put it in a little envelope, and I brought it over to his house. He wasn't home, but I gave it to his dad, and his father said his son would be thrilled with that, so now he'll know who Al, Al Orator is. Yeah, yeah, no no <clears throat> question about that. And uh, yeah, Al uh, passed away in 2007. Seven, yeah. Yeah, on October 1st, 2007. I wouldn't have known that. I, I just looked it up, but uh, uh, died in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Mm-hmm. He, he won in 56, 60 uh, 64 and 68. And then uh, I, I was in 1980 and he thought about making a comeback. He was already in his forties and he was actually throwing the discus farther at that age really? than when he won. Wow. But the younger guys were throwing much better. Yeah. So, but I had written him a letter and he says, well, he's going to try his best. It was a handwritten letter. Yeah. But it, it was pretty Isn't that something to get it for, uh, from a four-time Olympic Olympian, gold yeah. medalist? Yeah. Yeah. That is really something. And he dominated the Olympics in those years uh, as well. Uh, tell us about some, some of the people in the entertainment world. Yeah. Well, I had a, uh, being a lover of the opera, one of my favorite singers, a mezzo-soprano, Frederica von Stade, um, about 35 years ago, I asked her for an autograph. I wrote to the Met, and she sent one back. And uh, I continued to correspond with her. I met her a couple of times backstage, a number of operas. And uh, I've had an ongoing uh, kind of a pen pal thing with her for 35 years. I have a whole scrapbook full of letters back from her and photographs. and wow. Photographs of the, that I had taken with her. And uh, I sent them to her, and then she sends them back and autographs them for me. So that's really been quite a nice experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you are uh, quite a patron of the arts. I know you've been to the the Met on a number of occasions uh, in New York. Yeah, I love uh, going to the Met. Uh, tickets are getting very expensive now. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. yeah, that's that's true of everything these days, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's not just the tickets to the opera. It's just it, staying there at the hotel and yeah. then going out to dinner. I mean, you could blow a thousand dollars very easily on a one night trip to new york city yeah oh very easily very easily and uh you know it's true of anything if you go for uh, the opera or a, a broadway production or a ball game, of, game. Uh, yeah that yeah. doesn't matter it's uh tough to get a, a room in new york uh for under 300 dollars a mm. night oh <laughs> a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, you know, sometimes you can you can hit on uh, hit on one, uh, but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's tough. It, it really is to uh, to make that uh, that trek because of the the financial implications of it. You know, but uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and do it, right? Yeah, I, I when I was I used to run the New York City Marathon and uh, the hotel room was uh, quite expensive, but the thing was, you'd get stuck for an extra day of parking because you'd have the regular f- regular fee for one day, and then because when the, when you ran the race and you got back to the hotel, you already checked out of the hotel, but your car was still in the parking lot, and you'd still get charged an extra sixty dollars mm-hmm. for the for the next day, and that was you know quite a few years ago. I'm quite sure it's a lot more expensive now. 
Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Parking has always been an issue uh, in New York and other places uh, as well. But uh, so you ran uh, New York City a, a few times. Uh, 14. 14. That's a few times. Yeah, 14. 14 times. Now, have you run Boston? I ran Boston once. Once. You know, it was, it was a, the, the thing about Boston is uh, you're training in the wintertime. In New yeah. Hampshire, it's you know it's dark, it's cold, and uh, yeah. But for New York City Marathon, because it's in November, you're training primarily in uh, August, September, and October, and uh, the weather's more conducive to running at that time. So I did uh, New York more. How about the Manchester Marathon? I did the half a the number half. of times, yeah, okay. three times. I talked to uh, a former uh, a writer friend of mine, not a former friend, but a former writer who has since retired, Bill Ballou, who used to work for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. And he ran Manchester, or at least he tried to, uh, every year. That's a tough and course. He said it was tougher than Boston. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 And he, ran, he has run Boston many times, too. Uh, and uh, he thought Manchester was... Uh, much more difficult. Yeah, I always thought New York was harder than Boston. Really? Yeah. Well, you start on the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, right, which yeah. is, you know, you're starting, you're running a mile uphill just to start the just, race. Just to start it, yeah. Right. Dan Kosas is with us, a man <laughs> of many, many talents, <laughs> and you're going to hear them on display right here on WKXL coming up after this break. It's Kale and Company on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And uh, we've been teasing it throughout the program today that uh, our good friend Dan Kosas is going to sing both the Canadian National Anthem and the American uh, National Anthem as he has uh, sung so many times for so many people uh, here in the Northeast. So as we uh, celebrate uh, today both uh, Canada Day and the 4th of July, I turn it over to uh, Dan Kosas for the Canadian National Anthem. Oh, Canada, our home and native land, True patriots love in all of us command. With glowing hearts we see thee rise, the true north strong and free. From far and wide, O Canada, we stand on guard. For thee, God keep our land glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. O Canada. We stand on guard for thee. Outstanding, Dan. Sounding great. And, uh, you know, you probably don't have an opportunity to sing 
the Canadian anthem as much anymore without uh, the monarchs being around. Um, I don't think I've sung it since the monarchs <laughs> left. <laughs> and that's several years ago yeah, now. Yeah. But uh, you, you, you still got it. You still mm-hmm. got it. And uh, I, I really, I love the Canadian national anthem. And, and uh, you told me uh, off the air that it's, and, and I've heard this from, uh, from Cat and from other uh, national anthem singers over the years, that the American national anthem is a very difficult one to sing. Yeah, it is. Uh, the tessitur is very difficult. You have to make sure you start out in the beginning. Now, now, what does that low mean enough. for those? For those, it's the range. Oh, okay. It's the range okay. of, this, of the of this music, and yeah. if you don't start out <clears throat> low enough, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a very good easy time singing the top note at the end. I've seen a lot of people change keys in the middle of the anthem at some of the sports events on television. So. Yeah. Oh, you know, they they really uh, a lot of the artists now, uh, you know, change uh, keys, change uh, not not lyrics necessarily, but uh, the way the the lyric is delivered, and uh, it, they just they just mess with it too much these days. Well, yeah, I don't I don't care for some of the ones that sing it, and some of them they pronounce the words uh, incorrectly. I'm trying to think of one word. Just let me think for a second, and I'll get it for you. Do you remember the the big controversy uh, <clears throat> in 1968 at the World Series when uh, Jose, Jose Feliciano exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that was a big thing and Jimi Hendrix one time I think he right right the uh, guitar playing yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, Jose uh, Feliciano in '68 kind of changed the tune didn't he mm-hmm. uh, yeah how about Aretha Franklin. It must have lasted about eight minutes when she one time she sang somewhere. I forgot what it was. She had a piano. She accompanied herself on the piano, and it lasted a very, about very eight long minutes. Time. Yeah, you know, something really incredible. Probably the most famous rendition of the national anthem was Whitney Houston's mm-hmm. at a Super Bowl. Right. I remember uh, uh, that was played. A, a lot of people took that recording and uh, played it uh, before you know uh, games. games. Yeah. 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 And uh, a lot of lot of high school hockey games were preceded by uh, Whitney Houston singing of the national anthem uh, over the years. And but, then there's uh, some notorious ones, Roseanne Barr. Oh, well, that was that, that was despicable. That was absolutely despicable. And then uh, who was the sprinter, the Olympic sprinter? Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he forgot the words in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> But you know you you do see it mostly uh, you know it's, it's you know little kids performing uh, the national, national anthem, anthem and they yeah. do forget it uh, forget the lyrics and they, you've seen it sometimes when like the everybody in the in the arena, arena will, will chime singing. in yeah, yeah. yeah so that's that's nice too I always I always worry myself sometimes if uh, I'm gonna go draw a blank in the middle of I'll bet it's never happened uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready for the uh, okay. American National Anthem? I can make sure I start uh, at the right, you, that's right, right pitch. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our Star Spangled Banner from Dan Kosas. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light 
What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Outstanding. Outstanding. Dan Kosas, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, boy, I, I love it. You, you, it really it gives me a patriotic feeling every time I, I hear you sing uh, the anthem. And, and you know, I, I find where uh, a, a number of anthem singers uh, change the notes or the key, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not that musically inclined, obviously, but especially around the part where you say our flag was still, still there, there. Yeah. And, and and they change those notes yes, and, and have a different intonation. <laughs> than the thing that I noticed too, Ken, is uh, the word perilous. I hear so many people say perilous. It's yeah. peril. It's P-E-R-I-L, peril. Peril, yes. And, uh, and then... Over, not or or the land of the free. They say over the land of the free. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that before too. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, at, at uh, Camden Yards, they when they they say, oh, yeah, you know, in the middle of, of uh, the Star Spangled Banner, they all say, oh, you know. <laughs> and what do they do with the? It was one of the, it was the, the uh, one of the hockey teams. Da- is it Dallas Stars? They do the same thing when they they get to a certain when everybody yeah. yells out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, at any rate, you you do a remarkable job with it, and uh, and so many uh, so many years singing for the for the monarchs, as did our our general manager slash producer Catherine Martinez. You were my two favorite uh, anthem performers uh, before monarchs games at the uh, Verizon Wireless Arena when it was called that. So, Ken, do you remember that I sang there one night? It was a uh, it was New Year's Eve. And that was the biggest crowd I saw there. But I can remember the Monarchs got a goal. I think there's like 1.7 seconds left in the game, and they won the game. Were you, do you remember that? Oh, game? yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I do. And, of course, uh, the Monarchs uh, were famous for their indoor fireworks yeah. uh, after the uh, New Year's Eve uh, game. And I think at that game they were giving out T-shirts, but it was like it looked like a front was like the tuxedo. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah, that? that's right. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I, you know, you miss the Monarchs. Uh, I know our, our producer Cat does, and uh, and so many people uh, miss the Monarchs. Fortunately, we'll have uh, some great hockey coming up uh, in the starting late fall, early winter at Tritown Arena, the uh, New Hampshire Mountain Kings, mm. a, a junior hockey league of a high caliber with players from all over the world performing at the uh, Tritown Arena. And uh, we will be having... Uh, 
uh, their owner, Chris Brown, on uh, very soon on the program. So we, we look forward to that. But, Dan, I was looking forward to this exchange with you and you singing the uh, the anthems, and uh, it's been great, and uh, reminiscing about a few things as well. So thanks for being with us today. And my you're, pleasure. You're always welcome I, here. I, I just hope that I did it justice at this early hour yeah. in the morning. You, you, did, you did a great job. You did a great job. You'll hear it. You can hear it tonight. Tonight, yeah. At uh, 7, uh, 7 o'clock, right after uh, the 7 o'clock update, right here on WKXL. And, Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Ken. And that'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company, presented by Northeast Delta Dental, with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time here on Kale & Company.